0: Yes. uh, 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 uh. Well, it is great to pray for uh, different countries, isn't it? And, you know, as I read of these people, we just don't know how blessed we are hearing about different groups. And this one group, they're really unique. They're called the AMOC people, A I M A Q. That's how their name is spelled. There's about one and a half million of them. And no one has ever reached them with the gospel. In fact, even to this day, when you look at most of these different people groups, they'll list the resources that are available in their language. You look at this people, that young fellow, he looks like he could come from Raleigh, doesn't he? Doesn't he look like he could come from Raleigh, North Carolina? Yeah, he just looks like a typical kid that you would see down at the food line. Uh, and when you start looking at the list in this particular people group, is the Bible in their language? No. Do they have the Jesus film? No. Online audio New Testament? No. Are there audio recordings available? No. Is there anything available in their language? No. Nothing's ever been made available. They' 1.5 million. They were known basically for doing three things. They were known for being unbelievably fierce warriors. And then the second thing was they were nomads. They traveled from place to place, never settling down, herding. So they loved to herd animals, cows and other things. Then when they were forced to to, to uh, settle down, they became farmers. So I read a little story. It says, they're warriors, herders, and farmers. The Amak people have been them all. In arid locations, they live as nomads, traveling seasonally so they can graze their decimated herds. And work as farmers and carpet weavers in mud brick villages. In more fertile areas, they grow rice, cotton, grapes, wheat, melons, and they raise sheep all year long. They're Sunni Muslims, although tribal law is much stronger in their heart than Islam, and much stronger in their heart than any state or national laws. They have animistic witchcraft practices. Um, they do some unique things. For example, during periods of drought when it will not rain. They have the unmarried girls perform dances in hopes that that'll make it rain. They're unique in that they're one of the few people groups in Afghanistan that the women have unusual privileges, and they are allowed to meet with the men and freely voice their opinions, just like the women in this room. (laughs) Even when it says even when strangers are present, the women are allowed to make. They wear beautiful bright colors decorated with sequins at home. They wear burkas in public. They are known for extremely high-quality woven rugs. And they've never been reached with the truth of the cross. One and a half million that live in the nation of war-torn Afghanistan. So before we look into the Word, with somebody pray for the Amnok people? in the country of Afghanistan. Amen. he this world. Hmm. he be here. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus. Hmm. In Jesus. name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah, amen. amen. Well, I'll just kind of talk to all of us together. I brought my my poison not just for the children, but for all of us. So, you know, why do they put a thing like that on something that says poison? What's the What's the purpose of doing that? Yeah, so they're trying to warn you, because it's something really dangerous in a lot of situations. You know, it could kill you or kill an animal, and so they're trying to kind of catch your attention. Beware, be careful, don't do this, because it could poison you. And in the past, I actually used this same uh, bottle in a children's message, and we're really going to test you now, because this is really just completely flat unfair, for me to ask you if you can remember what the horrible poison was that was dangerous to the children. Does anyone remember? It won't die you. No, <laughs> no. I know. You mean it's actually in the bottle? No, it was uh, the representing something. Can anybody remember what it was? How about you, John Mark? Hmm. What was it? No, I think it's for a second there I thought you said it, but no. Nah. So it was uh, money. money and we are talking about. It. And something is money that doesn't sound very dangerous, but the Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of horrific evil. But what I actually want to talk about today is something that's hard to imagine this. So we're talking about poison. I'm not talking about something that can poison your body, uh, but I'm talking about something that can poison your soul. That's much more serious, isn't it? And is way worse than money, so i don 't know in fact uh, um, i 'm going to give you a scripture where we can actually find it, so there 's actually a scripture verse where this is listed in Proverbs six before you actually open and look at it in Proverbs six verses sixteen and seventeen, um, it says there's seven things the lord hates isn 't that interesting that you can actually find a Bible verse that talks about what God hates. Yeah. So no, no, it doesn't hate us, aren't we glad? But it talks about seven things that God hates, and what do you think is number one on the list? No, nope, that's a good guess. What now? Lie. Yeah, she's actually right. Pride. Right. Pride. Right. So pride is actually number one on the list. So I actually, I actually want to read it. They, they list seven, uh, but pride, but pride is actually number one. See, so, if I ask one question, you, you get mad at me. No, I won't get It's interesting, isn't it amazing that she would say that? It's so funny that she would say the seven deadly sins, and you look it up. When you actually look up their seven sins, did, did you hear what Nancy said? She talked about the seven deadly sins, and you can go online and look up or whatever, and it'll actually list seven deadly sins. And even in that list, guess what they list as number one, Nancy? Pride. Pride. <laughs> in fact, this is, I actually looked up that quote, so it's so hilarious that you would say that. Because I actually have that written down here. It said very specifically, uh-huh. They taught us about the seven deadly sins. You're right. And right here it actually says, that, why. it says That's that pride why. is called number one of the seven deadly sins and the root of all evil. The root of all evil. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But look here. This is where it says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one, prideful eyes, pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that run rapidly into evil, false witnesses who utter their lies, and people who spread strife. And right at the top of the list is pride. Now, I don't know if you think of me, how in the world, have you ever thought about this because it's not easy, how would you define pride? you hear what she said? Yes. She had not being Nancy, I don't know if you read my notes ahead of time or what. I just love Jesus. Yeah. But one thing, she's actually right. There are a lot of different ways you could try to devi- define pride, and it's not easy. There are different things people use, phrases. Sometimes we hear the word arrogance to define pride. Um, one of the number one ways it's often defined is uh, self-centeredness. So really pride just means that me, myself, and I are at the center of it all. But the interesting thing is what Nancy just said, and you're actually right, Nancy. Isn't it funny you would think that she read my nose? Because you know what the number one way of defining pride is to understand it, it's exactly what she said. It's defining it by the opposite. Mm-hmm. That what is pride? Pride is not being humble. Exactly what that you humble said. Shall be exalted. And humble shall be exalted. She's exactly right. And so, what I wanted to actually talk about a little bit, exactly what you said, Nancy, is what is humility? True humility. What is it? Humility is getting out there and flying aside. That will help. <It's> well, <laughs> not having that. Not, <laughs> not having that. It. Not using it to get something bad or not using it for drugs and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Just not having that and hey, getting out there. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do uh, of humility. Yeah, humility is one of the, if you think it's hard to define pride, it's hard to define true humility, and true humility is a miracle, it really is. I'm convinced that the only humble person that ever walked this planet was a man named Jesus. He is the only human being that has ever exhibited true humility, and the joy is that he has the power to root out my pride and to plant in his humility so that I can experience it, not fake humility or trying to impress people with how, isn't it hilarious, trying to impress people with how humble you are? The very fact that you're trying to impress other people shows you're not humble. But the reason I've been thinking about this a lot is God's been speaking to my own heart and giving me a great desire of wanting that character in my heart, to to really want that in my soul. So what I want to, I think beyond any doubt, the greatest passage in the Bible on true humility, there's none that even rivals it, is Philippians 2. So I want to read the passage, and then from that passage, I want to talk about seven uh, pictures that really describe what true humility is, Um, because uh, I need more help understanding it, and even more than that, I need help putting it into practice. So I'm going to read the first 13 verses. I love sometimes, have you ever thought about the fact that at times, not just uh, Paul, but the Bible itself is almost funny? With, with, with the blunt way they describe things. So the beginning of, a, of, of Philippians 2, listen to what he says here. You would think, Paul, why are you saying that? If there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love in Jesus, if there's any fellowship of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, if there's any affection in Him and any compassion. I mean, that's kind of funny, isn't it? Him saying that because we know the exact opposite is the truth. Uh, We know that there is infinite encouragement in Christ, infinite consolation of love in Jesus, infinite fellowship of the Holy Spirit, infinite affection and compassion. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He wants them to have unity. And then as he describes that, he says, "...don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let every one of you regard each other as more important than himself. Don't look out for your own personal interest." but each of you for the interest of others. Is that not powerful? I'll even read that again. The last verse is there. Do nothing out of selfishness, self-centeredness, or empty conceit. There's that pride. But with humility of mind, let everybody consider everybody else more important than you. Wouldn't that be a miracle if we could each do that? Let every one of you consider everybody more important than yourself. Isn't that a staggering statement? Let every single one of you regard each other as more important than themselves. Don't look out for your own interests. But each of you look out for the interests of the others. Just for the circle, you know what that actually means? That means that somebody like Joel would not be caring at all about Joel's interests, but he'd be caring deeply about Laura's needs and Madeline's needs and Booty's needs and Allison's needs. You get the picture. And then Philip wouldn't be caring about Philip's needs, but he'd be caring about Bob and what Bob needs and what John Martin needs. And Booty wouldn't be caring about Booty's needs, but she'd be real concerned about Kristen's needs and, and, and Joel's needs and my needs. And do you see what happens then is, is everyone's needs are met. Do you see that? Because Brian's not looking out for Brian's needs, but all y'all are. <laughs> I mean, I'm in good shape. I got a whole group of people looking out for my needs. Isn't that just amazing? So each person is not even looking out over their own needs, but they're caring for the needs of others. It then says, with humility, let each of you regard each other as more important than yourself. Don't look out for your own personal interests. I love my translation. It added the word merely, which isn't even there. I love it when the translators don't like the way a passage sounds, so they figure they've got to fix it so it'll sound right. When the translation really said, do not look out for your own personal interests. That's what it says. It's a command. Do not. Look out for your own personal interests, but, in what the real translation says, each one of you looking out for the interests of others. Mm-hmm. Others. Out the word yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not there. It isn't. It's not there. I scratched it out in mine, too, so we both did that, Madeline. Yeah. <laughs> so now we get to the other verses. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is true humility. Although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God as a thing to grasp onto, but he emptied himself, and he took the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient, even obedient to, to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on Him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now even more when I'm not there, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's God who's working in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. So I just wanted to talk about a little bit. God's really been putting it on my heart. I'm not going to even look at my notes, so hopefully I'll, I'll somehow remember what God wants me to talk about, because uh, He's been putting it on my heart, which is the most important place to put it on your heart. I've been trying to understand myself what humility really is and then how to live it out in my life, and God really took those phrases from Philippians 2. I call it seven steps down, seven steps down, because Jesus came from the highest place in the universe, the throne. And he left heaven and came to earth and went to the lowest place in the world, death on the cross. And so he was always stepping how? Down. And so as it talks about humility, there were seven phrases there that really, uh, have really gripped my heart, and I just want to share a little bit with y'all, and hopefully the Lord will help you, because I've been asking God, what is humility? Now I want to know and the first one's right there at the beginning when it says although he existed on the form, in the form of God he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to and what that word means is let go. So there he let go. He let he had to let go in order to go. He couldn't have left heaven and come to earth unless he first what? Let go. And so true humility is a spirit where you're willing to let go of anything and everything in order to follow Jesus. You're not going to hold it tightly. You're willing to what? Let go. To follow Jesus, if you're really a disciple and really a follower of Jesus, there'll be many times in your life that you'll have to let go of many things to follow him, what Mark tried to share with him last week. Mark's talking, I mean, how in the world does a person give up a job with IBM? People think he's insane. You mean you just turned out? You know, is that man crazy? But what he knows is that to follow Jesus, often you have to let go to go. And many times you won't be able to follow God where he wants you to go unless you can let go. If you hold on to things, you're going to end up being a prideful person. True humility is a spirit of a willingness to let go of anything and everything necessary to follow Jesus. You're willing to let go. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to let go to go. And sometimes He'll tell you to do things and go places and be things, and you're going to have to give up a lot to do it because you cannot follow Jesus unless you're willing to let go. You have to let go to go, And that's why, like Pastor Joseph and I have said countless times, hold on to Jesus very, 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 very tightly and hold on to everything else very, 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 very loosely because you have to be willing to let go to go. And so the first aspect of true humility is a willingness to let go. And God will show you. Isn't it great that other people don't have to show you that? You know, God is the one who's our teacher and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes I can have white knuckles from holding on to something too tight. You know, God knows how to pry. (laughs) let go. You have to let go of that because that's a hindrance to your following of me and it's a hindrance to true humility. True humility is a spirit that really is willing to let Okay, Number two, true humility is a spirit where you are willing and ready to empty yourself. He exists in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Isn't that unbelievable? I was thinking about pride, and this was the thought that God put in my heart. He said that that if you're so full, there's something that's good to be full of. If you're so full of love for God and love for people, there's no room for self. (laughs) There's no room for self. You're full of love for God and love for others and there's no room for self. You're willing to empty yourself. You're willing to empty yourself. Jesus not only was willing to let go of anything and everything. He was willing to empty himself and to literally endure. Think of all the things that Jesus suffered and what he did. I mean, he chose willingly to be born, you know, among the dung and animals in a no man's land. God chose for him to grow up in a city that was so horrible, people would say nothing good can come out of Nazareth. That's where God raised Jesus, Nazareth. It's like the worst place you could have picked on the planet, you know. He embraced poverty. All his disciples, all of them abandoned him. Some of them denied him. Some of them betrayed him. His own family, all of them rejected him and mocked him and ridiculed him. His brothers tried to kill him. On top of everything, else, his whole nation refused him. I mean, everything he did was just emptying himself. Amen? He's just willing to empty himself. He was willing to be so full of love for God and love for people that he would empty himself of everything else. No room for selfishness there, is there? He emptied himself. Then what did he do? The third word, he became a servant, or that word literally means a slave servant. Isn't that what true humility is? True humility is a spirit that delights to serve others, doesn't it? Isn't that what true humility is? So many of these definitions, haven't you noticed how much action's involved in them? It's not just an, uh, a, a, a feeling or something, it's an action. True humility is the spirit where you really want to serve other people. And the reason it used that word, slave servant, is you're willing to do the lowest of the low. You know? So true humility is a willingness to do the task nobody else will do. Like in Pakistan, when we've learned about the muesli people, 2.5 million. What's their job? Cleaning latrines. You know, true humility is the willingness to let the musili have the day off and to clean the latrine for them and nobody else even finds out that you did it for them. You know, it is this spirit that deeply desires to serve other people and is willing to do the lowest of the low and nobody else finds out about it. You know, you don't need any notoriety. You don't need anybody to say, well, look, oh, look what Joel did, you know, because he's done it in a humble way where no attention's been brought to him, and he was willing to do the most demeaning, lowly task and to do it by other people, and he don't want any recognition for it. So he's willing to be a servant. You know, I love the way Pastor Bill all the time just says, I'm nothing but a housekeeper. <laughs> you know, he says, that's all I am. He says, I'm just a housekeeper. God made me a housekeeper of this flock all I want to do is to be a housekeeper. I just want to be a servant. And true humility just loves to sub- serve other people without any recognition. And true humility means you're willing to do the really low task, you know, the lowest of the low task. Isn't that a good thing? Mm-hmm. To actually have a humble spirit. Number four, not only is he a humble servant, humbled himself, becoming what? What did he do after he talks about him being humble? Obedient, obedient. True humility is always an obedient spirit. So true humility is willing to let go of anything and everything that keeps you from following Jesus. True humility is willing to empty yourself. That's why I really love um, the best definition I've ever heard of um, um, pride and humility was, I just forgot his name, C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia. And he says, you know, a lot of times when people talk about humility, they, they somehow think humility means that I go around telling people, oh, I'm the worst, I'm the lowest of the low, oh, I'm a nobody, and, and all this, the, these kind of terminologies. I love C.S. Lewis's definition where he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's such a powerful definition. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking of yourself less because what happens with true humility is you're so full of love for God and love for others there's no room for self because God and others are the center of your soul and that takes over what you do so true humility is let's go true humility empty self true humility is a servant you're willing to serve and even do the lowliest task of all number four true humility is obedience True humility is obedience. That's actually number five, but we'll go ahead and do number five before we do number four. So true humility is obedience because a humble spirit will always be a what? An obedient spirit will obey God. And I left out number four because true humility is the word humility. He humbled himself. And I'll tell you, I still think after reading all this and talking about it, the best definition of humility is a willingness to step down. It's a willingness to always go lower. That's what the word means. It means to step down. <laughs> You're going what? Lower. How low can you go? It's like that game where you try to get low under that bar. Yeah, yeah. And so with true humility, you're always stepping down, stepping down. Look what Jesus, Isn't it just amazing? I'm just awed at times when I think about Jesus. How could he go from the highest place in the universe, the most exalted, highest honor place in the entire universe, and willingly choose to leave that all to go to the lowest, most degrading, low of the low places, the cross? He went from the highest to the what? To the lowest. Well, how do, you, how do you get from the highest to the lowest? You got to step down. You got to step down, step down. Step down more booty. Step down more booty. Step down more booty. Step down, step down some more. Step down, step down, step down. That's true humility. It's always a willingness to go lower, to step down, to he step down. He, he did that because he loves us. You're exactly right. He did that because he loves us so. And to me, that's one of the greatest ways you can love people. You know, I think it's impossible to love without humility. Humility is just so important, true humility. There's humility of Jesus. So you're willing to step low and to step low and to step lower. And true humble people are obedient people. You know, true humility will always empower you to obey God. Amen? So a humble spirit is an obedient spirit. Number six, So he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. Death. True humility is always a spirit of dying. Does that mean you literally have to die? No, not many of us. Some may. Sometimes you're exactly right. Look at all the persecuted church. There are a lot of people that die for Jesus, and they do. And God may call us to die. We don't know that if he called us into a place where we had to lay down our life. For somebody else but in this phrase the real spirit of humility is a spirit of death to self that's what's so important when Paul said I die I die what daily I die all day every day and like I've told you you're actually the executioner because that's why Romans 8 says if you by the Holy Spirit are putting to death the deeds of your flesh then you will live if by the Holy Spirit you're executing and putting to death your flesh then what rises in you? Christ. So most people don't realize when God makes you a Christian, let me tell you one thing for sure, He doesn't fix your flesh. Did you think He did? Did you think that what God was going to do was say, oh, there's that old man in Joel, that old flesh man, and I'm going to fix it so it's really working. He never never touches your flesh because your flesh has to die. And when Joel dies to self by the power of the cross, Christ rises in him And he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I. Christ lives in me, and the life I'm now living in the flesh, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And so you're dying. You're dying every day. You're dying all day, every day, where the power of the cross is putting to death everything in your flesh that needs to die so that the resurrection can raise up Christ living inside you. I mean, uh, I do, uh, uh, y'all watch some of these crazy movies or things you see uh, where a zombie gets up out of the grave. Well, you know, that's the problem is that don't you wish you just had to die once? It Don't work that way. So what happens is, is die, Brian, die. And then before I know it, the zombie's coming up. What, what, what is that coming out of the grave? You know, that brine flesh is coming out of the grave and I've got to take the knife of the Holy Spirit. Die! Get back down in that coffin where you belong. Die! I don't want you. I don't want your power in my life. I don't want you ruining my life. Die by the cross so Christ can rise in me. Amen? People want resurrection life without crucifixion. You can't have it. You can't have resurrection power without crucifixion, death. you got to die to live. Isn't it the craziest thing in the world? I've got to die. I've got to die daily. I've got to die 24-7 all day. And I've got to be the executioner. That's why I love that passage in Romans. If, that's a big if, if you are by the Holy Spirit, that's the only way you can do it, putting to death the deeds of your flesh, then you will live you've got to learn how to die you have to learn how to die and true humility true humility is a spirit that's willing to die a spirit that's willing to die and the last thing he says which is really the the peak of true humility is he says he humbled himself to death even what is the cross cross humility, cross humility. The peak of real humility is the spirit of the cross. And so what you're willing, you have a cross humility that really lives in you. People can see it and feel it. It's a supernatural reality. I'll read two passages that really show that more beautifully than anywhere I can see in Scripture. One is in First Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 19. It says, this finds favor for God, in God's eyes. If a person bears up under sorrows when they suffer, how? Unjustly. Was the cross just for Jesus? No, sir. We're so quick to say that's not what? Fair. Fair. Wow. I'll tell you what, if you say that, the, the minute that came out of your mouth, that was a prideful sentence. Jesus was willing to embrace the cross. Injustice. What credit, it says, is, it finds favor with God if you're willing to bear up under sorrow when you suffer unjustly. What credit is there if you sin and then get harshly treated and you endure that with patience? But if you do what is right and you suffer unjustly for it and you patiently endure it, This finds favor with God because you have been called to do that. Most of us Christians don't even realize we've been called to that. Did you know that? Did you know that you have been called by God to suffer unfairly? You've been called. Jesus did it, now you're what? Called to do it. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to what? Follow in his steps. And how did he suffer? He committed no sin, nor was any lies found in his mouth. When he was being reviled by other people, he didn't revile back in return. When he suffered, he didn't utter any threats, but he kept trusting himself to his Father, who he knew would judge fairly. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we would have the power to die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. You once were continually straying like sheep, but now you return to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He gives you the power to do that. Isn't that amazing? That is the peak of humility. It is a cross humility that is willing to suffer unjustly. And the same thing is described so powerfully in Acts 5 in the, in the history of the early church. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40, They arrested the apostles and threw them all in jail, and then what they uh, they beat them all. It says they called them all in and they beat them, uh, beat them to a pulp, and they ordered them, "Do not speak any more in the name of Jesus." And then they set them free. Then the disciples went on their way from the presence of the council, and they were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame. For Jesus' name, isn't that mind-boggling? Can you see that, Joel? I mean, here are these guys have just been let free, <laughs> and they've been beaten to a pulp, and they're rejoicing. They're saying, "Hey, Peter, hey, John, we're celebrating with joy that we have been honored to suffer shame for Jesus' name." And they were rejoicing. Where'd that come from? That's true humility. That's cross humility. They weren't making that up or faking it. They were really genuinely celebrating with joy what they felt was a great honor to be worthy enough to suffer shame for Jesus' name. That is just mind-boggling, isn't it? That is just humility of humility. And every day... In the temple and from house to house, they disobeyed the authorities and they kept right on preaching and teaching Jesus. Isn't that just amazing? It is amazing. So true humility is always cross humility. Now what excites me is that's not the end of the passage. Isn't that exciting with you? I always say I do like to teach math and those parabolas. You, know, you go down, 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 and you get to the bottom, and then what happens? up, 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 up. And the whole point of humility is you choose to go down. Who raises you up? God raises you up. See the difference? You go down, God raises you up. The exact opposite is when you raise yourself up and then what does God have to do? He's got to bring you down. He's got to bring you down because pride, 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 pride goes before a what? Fall, 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 fall. He says, if you had a spirit of humility and on your own choices had gone down, 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 then I would be the one by my power that would raise you up to where I want you to be. And so the great thing about true humility is you get raised up. By who? God. God. And that's what he says here. Wouldn't you rather to choose yourself to be humble and have God raise you up than to choose to exalt yourself and have God have to bring you down? Do you want to exalt yourself and then watch God bring you down? Or do you want to willingly go down and watch God raise you up? Remember what Jesus said in the story about the feast? You remember the story about the feast? Jesus is at the feast and there are all these tables and there's some people that come in and what position do they take? They take the highest place of honor in the place. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You should have come in and taken the lowest seat. And then I would have said, Oh, Sonia, don't sit way over there. Come sit up in the seat of honor. I would have put you in the seat of honor. Isn't that a whole lot better? Isn't that a whole lot better to have Jesus put you in the seat of honor instead of yourself? That's why certain servants, you know, you, you, you study people throughout history and you're just amazed how humble they are. Um, one that always has just amazed me. Uh, and then you look what God did in his life and everybody makes some mistakes. But Billy Graham was one of the most humble men I've ever seen or known. And God just raised him up. He didn't plan all that. You ever read the story of his life? You know how many different presidents and world leaders he sat down with face to face around this globe? Do you know the number of the highest exalted leaders in the world that this man sat down in a chair with them face? How in the world did that happen? He was such a humble servant. He was such a humble servant. And God just did what? Raised him up and put him in all these places. He didn't put himself there. Who put him there? God, And then you read here what it says here with Jesus. And it says, he humbled himself, therefore God exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the wonderful thing about humility. When you choose willingly yourself to go low, God will raise you up. And you know that you're being raised up by the hand of God. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world? And you'll be where you're supposed to be. You'll be doing what you're supposed to do. You'll know the power of God and the presence of God and the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God. And then the end of this text really excites me. That's why I don't like to stop at verse 11 because the next two verses are so encouraging where it says, "Uh, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now even more in my absence. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling because it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What a promise. You're working out. Who's working in? God. God's working in you His desires and the power of His work so that what you're working out is actually what He's working in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work. Isn't that great, Lord? God is working inside of you (laughs) to give you His desires and to do His work. So what you're working out, He actually first is working in. Isn't that exciting? That's why it's so exciting when you're really seeking God. Mark and I have talked over and over about that Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord, number one. Number two, do what is good. Number three, live where He has put you. Number four, cultivate faithfulness. Number five, delight in the Lord. And then what happens? He gives you the desires of your heart. The desires that are birthed in you are Isaac's desires. They're God's desires He's birthed in you. Then what does it say you do? It says you take those desires and you trust in Him and you commit them to Him and you rest in Him and you wait patiently for Him and it says God will do it. What an unbelievable difference. That isn't lifting yourself up. That is a humble spirit of going low. And then as you go low, I'll tell you what, the best water you can drink is at the bottom of the mountain. (laughs) It's at the bottom. Go down, down, down. And when you get to the lowest of the low, you can't drink without getting what? On your knees. And then when you get on your knees in the lowest place, you can drink the cool water. You can't get that water without going low. And then God will raise you up. He'll raise you up. He'll begin to birth in you His desires. You'll work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God will be at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Wow. And the reason those last verses are so powerful to me is I read about that humility. I think that's impossible to really experience that kind of humility in my life. And then I realize God says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will work it in you. I'll work the desire in you and I'll worth the action in you. Yeah. So isn't that great to know? So I know God just wants, he wants humble servants, doesn't he? Pride is so dangerous. It is one of the seven dead. It is the root of all evil and it's so clever how it hides in us, isn't it? Don't you want to be humble? Well, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for the most precious, humble servant in the world. We love to look at Jesus and to fix our eyes on him and just to marvel, marvel that he went from the highest place in the universe to the lowest, and he took all those steps down, 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 and his whole life was marked by humility every moment of every day. What an amazing, amazing, perfect Jesus. And we're so thankful that that's not the end of the story, that then you raised him up and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And we, we love to bow low before Jesus and to confess indeed that he is Lord over all. We're asking you in his name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the cross to put to death our pride, and by the power of the resurrection to raise up in us true humility. So we ask you to kill our pride and to rise up genuine Jesus' humility in our souls. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.